Blake. I'm Caleb. And this is the Sunday Underground. Uh, today we have our friend Morgan with us again. Hello. Hi, Morgan. Hello, Morgan. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, last time was fun, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, uh, what did we do last time? Ghost stories? Yeah. Yep. Uh, this time we're going to go the true crime route and talk about uh, Jerry Brudos. He was uh, the shoe fetish killer, and he was also known as the lust killer. So I guess we'll just jump right in. Yeah. Okay. Um, So according to the Journal of Sex Research, they did a survey and found that 45% of people who participated in their survey were interested in fetishes, but only 26 out of the 46% had acted on fulfilling their fetishes. It's kind of like an embarrassing thing for some people. Um, And the definition of a fetish is a form of sexual desire in which gratification is linked to an abnormal degree to a particular object, item of clothing or part of the body. So some of the most common fetishes are non-genital body parts like your feet or your armpits. Hmm. I, if anybody ever got a hold of my computer and like looked up my search history, they would be in for a surprise. Yeah. Uh, uh, This may be totally made up, but I think there's like a company you can pay to like clear your stuff like when you die. Oh, really? Yeah. Just like it. I wonder how many people actually utilize that. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what like the the percentage rate Mm -hmm. is for that. But my computer has been like so far nothing but true crime scary things and now fetishes such mm-hmm. as armpit licking because yeah. that's one of the things <laughs> with armpits that's funny they like to lick them and smell them which if that's your thing whatever yeah whatever yeah none of my business someone but. uses your computer and they click on google search and when they type in the first couple of letters it comes up yeah armpit or, licking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know and it's just like not not just armpits People like shoes, they like ears, they like underwear, you know, like all those like underwear sites where people buy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like used, used underwear. underwear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much anything you can think of and stuff you can't even think of, people are into it. I saw mm-hmm. this TikTok video of this girl who sold like some dirty ass pair of shoes. Yeah. For like hundreds of dollars. I believe it. How can, how do I get into that? Because yeah. <laughs> I would definitely sell all of my shit. Mm-hmm. But fetishes, they can also include like BDSM or voyeurism. Mm -hmm. And the most common Googled fetish in Idaho is erotic electrostimulation. So there's a a fun fact for you. There's also something called a balloon fetish. And those people are called lunars. And they enjoy inflating and popping balloons for sexual gratification. Okay. I don't know what that would do for you. Mm Mm-hmm. That just doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, whatever floats your boat. But um, then we also have like golden showers. That's another fetish that I found. Yeah. Um, but a foot fetish is the most common fetish like in the world. Uh, so a foot fetish or podophilia can date back as far as second, like the second century AD. So it's been going on for a very long time. A set of love letters wrote to women and men tell a story of a man who really liked feet and I found like a little portion of like what those letters said 
And it says, leave your feet bare like your neck and face, he pleads, without any cosmetics or adornments, not even chains of gold or silver. Be like silver-footed Thetis and a newly born Aphrodite strolling barefoot on the shore. Do not torture your feet, my love, and do not hide them. Walk softly and leave prints of your own foot behind you for those who would love to kiss them. So that was a little more eloquent than today, I think, of what some people would say about feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, fetishes are they're all completely normal, you know, and if you have one, that doesn't mean that you're like weird or something's wrong with you. And as long as you're acting out your fetishes and everything is safe and consensual and you're not hurting anyone, then you're good. Mm -hmm. It's totally fine. So while the majority of their people fulfill their fetishes and sexual desires in a safe and healthy way, Jerry Brudos definitely did not. His fetish with shoes and feet started at a young age, five years old. One day he was playing at the local dump, and while he was digging around, he found a pair of women's high-heeled shoes. And to be specific, they were like patent leather, open-toed heels. So he brings them home, and he's walking around the house in them, which that's really, to me, not alarming. Mm -mm. You know, kids try on their parents' shoes and just walk around all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But his mom, Eileen, she sees him, and she is just furious. She yells at him and tells him to throw the shoes away, but he doesn't. He keeps them and, like, hides them from her. So one day she finds them, and he still, like, you know, like, has them, and she's, like, super mad. Like, you know, I told you to throw these out. So she takes them and burns them, and while she's burning these shoes, she makes him watch, which is also, like, very mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, and, like, some of the, like, he did have, like, a rough childhood, but that doesn't excuse the fact, like, it doesn't excuse anything that he does later in life, because tons mm-hmm. of people have shitty childhoods, and they don't kill people yeah, over they, it. Yeah, they learn so, how to cope and yeah. deal and things like that. So, Jerry and his mother, they never had a close relationship, and she actually resented him for being born a boy. When she found out she was pregnant, and it wasn't a planned pregnancy either, um... She was, like, really pissed, like, really, really angry he was born a boy because she already had a son, Jerry's older brother, Larry. And Larry could do no wrong. He was a golden child, and, you know, she always made sure to remind Jerry that Larry was her favorite, which is also weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's never good. So Jerry was born in Webster, South Dakota, uh, January 31st, 1939. And they lived on a farm up until he was five. And it was during the Great Depression. So, you know, obviously shit was tough. Uh, When he was five, they packed up and moved to a town near Portland, Oregon, because his dad, Henry, had found a better paying job. And side note about Henry and Larry, they knew that like their mom was terrible to him, but they just didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know like if they should say anything or not. So they kind of, they kind of kept out of that relationship and like, as far as like the way she treated him. Mm -hmm. So when Jerry was six years old, his dad had packed everyone up again and they moved to Riverton, California. He's in the first grade now and his shoe fetish is still going on. And it seemed that like the, obviously like the whole burning the shoes in front of Jerry, like backfired on his mom because his, obsession with shoes was still there 
So Jerry's teacher kept an extra pair of heels in her desk drawer. And, you know, he's still obsessing over the shoes. So he takes them out of her desk one day to take them home with him. And a classmate sees Jerry and tells the teacher. The teacher confronts him and he just like runs out of the classroom, obviously embarrassed because he was caught. Uh, The ages of six or no, I'm sorry, the ages like seven to eight, he fails the second grade. He was tested and was found to have a normal IQ, but his grades weren't the best. And his mom made sure to remind him whenever she could and would actually taunt him about how bad his grades were. On top of not being able to keep up with his classmate, uh, he was being teased by them all the time. And I couldn't really find like why or like what he would do or like like what they teased him about. All it said was that his behavior was like really erratic and that they made fun of him for it. He was constantly sick. He had measles, sore throat, laryngitis, fungal infections, migraines. And sometimes his migraines were so bad they would affect his vision. So the school suggested that maybe glasses would help him because, you know, maybe it was one of those things where he's falling behind because he like can't see the board or, you know, whatever. So the glasses... They didn't help, and they just kind of made him more of an outcast because back in the day, glasses were not cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have the incident in the first grade where he tried to steal the teacher's shoes. And now that he's in the second grade, he takes it up a notch uh, with the whole women's shoe thing. This time, his parents invited some family friends over to hang out, and they brought their teenage daughter with them. Their daughter's tired, and she goes to lay down in Jerry's room to take a nap. While she's sleeping, Jerry goes in there and sees that she's wearing a pair of high-heeled shoes. So he creeps up to her. She's sound asleep. And he tries taking her shoes off her feet. Mm. Well, while he's taking them off, she wakes up and she's like, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, go away. And he runs out of the room without the shoes. And I'm just, this is totally, like, my opinion. And just, like, knowing like after researching, like reading further, knowing what he does to women. It seems like, you know, with his mom being so mean to him and burning their shoes, his teacher finding out about him trying to take her shoes, you know, and he was like embarrassed. And then, you know, the girl waking up while he's taking off her shoes, he's really like, and it's no, this is like, nope, not the women's in this situation's fault at all. He's like setting himself up to have like, some kind of hatred towards women. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they've embarrassed him. They've been mean to him, you know, and he doesn't really have, like, I guess, a healthy relationship with a woman. And like I'm saying, I'm not excusing mm-hmm. his behavior, but it's like... There was a reason for, like, his target. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like you know, like, that's maybe why he targeted women was, like, his hatred of mm-hmm. his mother or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so from eight years to 12 years of age, his family moves two more times and they end up in Wallace Pond, Oregon, after his dad found a farming job again. His shoe fetish is still there, but now he's adding women's underwear and bras to the mix. And he also has a friend that he would sneak into people's houses with and try on women's clothes. He would later say that he loved the way they felt on his skin and that they made him feel aroused when he wore them. Interestingly enough, He never once tried to steal his mother's clothes or shoes. So at 13 years old, 
obviously that's a rough time for everyone. We mm-hmm. talked about that the other night. Yeah, we did. <laughs> How 13 is like just a, a tough age, middle school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, you're, you're just now a teenager. Your body's changing. You're trying to figure out who you are. It's just a rough time. Mm-hmm. Jerry's older brother, Larry, was somewhat of an artist. And I use that term very loosely. Uh, because Larry had a box with a lock on it in his room where he would hide the new drawings that he did. Some of them were of Lois Lane with nothing but high-heeled shoes on, which, okay, still not alarming, Mm -hmm. you know? So Jerry's in his room one day, like, messing around, and he found the box, and he was like, oh, my God, shoes, you know, like, right up my alley. And he didn't get to enjoy them for too long because his mom caught him looking through the box and berated him for having them. Knowing that his mom wouldn't believe uh, they were Larry's, he just took the blame for it and told him that, told her that they were his. In 1955, Jerry's 16, you know, still not doing so hot in school, not a lot of friends, awkward around girls, and his fantasies are getting disturbing. He would often fantasize about capturing girls, holding them captive, and then making them beg to be let go. His brother's out of the house, off at college, so that just makes him an even bigger target for his mom. And he would often have wet dreams. And as a form of punishment and humiliation, his mother would make him wash his stained sheets by hand. Ugh. That's kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. That's mean. Yeah. <clears throat> wet dreams. Are those like something only guys get? I don't know. Nocturnal emission. Is that what it is? <laughs> Yeah. I mean like I've I've heard the term before but I didn't know if that's like a Uh I don't know. I don't know. I don't I'm no ex- sex expert or anything but I didn't know if it was just like something that like or something that all guys got or if it no. was just like I personally have never had one in my life but I've talked to people who used yeah. to have them all the time. Really? Yeah. Is it just like you're dreaming and then oops. super excited, probably rolling around, maybe touching that and you're okay. unaware that you're doing it? Okay, yeah, because I didn't, that was one thing I did not want on my Google search history. So I was just like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I have a, <laughs> uh, a good grasp on what that term is. I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. Um, all right. So late in the summer, Jerry decides that his shoes just aren't doing it for him anymore. So he goes out in his neighborhood and he finds uh, an 18-year-old girl's underwear hanging on the clothesline. He takes them and adds them to his collection. But that didn't last long either because he decides the underwear aren't really enough for him to fulfill his fantasies. He goes out to find the girl that he took the underwear from and he tells her that he's been secretly working with the police to try and figure out who stole her underwear. And he's like, hey, I know who took your underwear. Come over to my house and I'll help you get them back. And she's, you know, a little reluctant. Like, this yeah. is weird. It's not a real crime. Yeah. it's. it's <laughs> I don't need those back. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But she ends up going over there and she, you know, shows up at his house. His family wasn't home. So he takes her in a room and he's like, I'll be right back. He leaves. And then a couple minutes later, a guy comes in with a mask and a knife. And he's like, you know, he makes her take off her clothes and then took photos of her standing naked in the room. And then he leaves. She hurries up, puts her clothes back on. And she's trying to like bolt out of the room when Jerry rushes in and he's like, I've been locked in the barn, you know, by the mask guy, and I was just now able to escape. She leaves and doesn't report the incident to the police. 
And Jerry was obviously the masked guy. Yeah, yeah he yes. did the Superman thing, referring back to the Lois Lane. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Obviously a huge fan and mm-hmm. put it into play, I guess. Yeah, well, he he definitely got away with violating her because he never, or she didn't, you know, turn him in. But a year later, uh, the pictures he took of the girl had lost their appeal. He feels like he needs more. And his fantasies are even worse than they were before. This time he's fantasizing about putting girls in freezers so he could take them out whenever he wanted and arrange them in different sexual positions. He would also fantasize about keeping girls as sex slaves and even dug a hole in the side of a hill near his home to keep the girls like in the hole. So he's getting absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. So with all these thoughts like, you know, swirling around in his mind, he sees a girl out and he offers to give her a ride home and she agrees. But instead of taking her home, he takes her to an abandoned farmhouse. While they're there, he tries to make her take her clothes off and she says no. He becomes enraged and ends up beating her. And a couple saw what was going on and they reported it to the police. So the cops show up and he tells Larry, or no, I'm sorry, Jerry tells the couple and the cops that he just stopped to help her. It wasn't him that was beating her up. And they were all like, we definitely do not believe that. Um, So they ended up talking to the victim and she, you know, confirmed the whole story. And Jerry was arrested for assault and battery. And later when they searched his bedroom, they found women's shoes, underwear, and the photos he had taken of the girl in his neighborhood the year prior. So instead of sending him to jail, they thought that it would be better for him to go to the Oregon State Hospital. And fun fact about that hospital, it was the same hospital that uh, that movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was filmed. Yeah, in. cool. And while he was there, he was still able to attend high school, so he didn't fall behind. And he also saw a psychiatrist regularly. He told his psychiatrist about how his fetishes were escalating, and they said that it was just a phase and that he would grow out of it. Now, I read this good book for this case. It's um, The True Story of the Shoe Fetish Slayer by Jack Rosewood. And in it, um, he had like a quote from the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist say, The boy does not appear to be grossly mentally ill. He comes shyly into the interview situation and sits down in a dejected fashion to talk with great embarrassment about his difficulty. It is difficult for him to form any kind of relationship with the examining physician, although he does warm up slightly through the course of the interview. He is precisely oriented in all spheres. Speech rate, thought rate, and psychomotor activities are all within normal limits. Flow of thinking is relevant, logical, and coherent. He appears to be evasive on the basis of his acute embarrassment and is somewhat rambling and verbose in trying to tell his story. He appears to be somewhat depressed at the present time and his predominant mood would appear to be of depressed, dejected embarrassment. There's no other side of suicide, homicide, or destructive urges. Wow, did they get that definitely wrong. Yeah. So when he first got there, he was diagnosed with adjustment reaction of adolescent with sexual deviation and fetishes. And when he left, his diagnosis was borderline schizophrenia. After nine months there, he was out. He graduated high school. And then from 1957 to 1959, he tried his hand at college. But he didn't care too much of that about college because he very rarely attended classes. 
So with college no longer being an option, he decides to enroll in the Army at the age of 20. He went to Georgia for basic training and then ended up stationed in Monterey Bay, California. And there was really nothing like that he achieved in the Army. He ended up being discharged as an E-2 officer, which is like one of the lowest is, like ranks in the Army. Yeah, it's essentially... I mean, yeah. Are you like just like E two when you enter, or is there like E one? Yeah, there's like a one. What are they? I mean, it, what what branch was he in? Uh, it, it said the army. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, like an E one, whatever. Okay. Well, he was discharged because he went to the army psychologist and told him about all the fantasies he was having again, and that he was having dreams that a Korean girl was trying to seduce him. After getting kicked out, he has to move back in with his parents, and his mom was so angry that he was back that she made him sleep in the shed in their backyard. So he was becoming bored with his fantasies again, and he attempted to kidnap a woman he saw walking down the street. He choked her until she passed out and then stole her heels and went home and slept with them that night. January of 1962, Jerry has a steady job at a local radio station, and this is where he meets his future wife, Darcy, who was 17 at the time. Now, she was just crazy about him, but her parents were absolutely not. They didn't approve of their relationship at all, but she gets pregnant, and since it's the 60s, her parents, you know, they agree. They're like, okay, well, you're you're knocked up. Now you have to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get married, and they have a little girl, Jerry wasn't winning any of the best husbands awards. He couldn't keep a job, so they kept moving around all the time so he could find work. He'd make his wife walk around in the house and clean and cook in nothing but high heels while he took pictures of her. Which, okay, if you want to do that, then that's fine. But you can't make somebody do that. You can't make them uncomfortable while you're doing it. You know what I mean? No, no, it has to be completely agreed upon. Like, did she enjoy that like did she want to do that for him since she was like mad about him i don't know i think at first maybe but then you know he's not a good husband Mm -hmm. he can't keep a job you know i think she be like it just became old like i don't want to do this anymore but you know she still had to so he finally finds a job working as an electrician in portland and this is when his wife you know she becomes pregnant again but this time with a little boy And their relationship is pretty rocky at this point, so much so that when it came time for her to give birth, she wouldn't let Jerry into the delivery room. And this was a tipping point for Jerry because shortly after his wife had given birth to their son, he was still really angry about not being allowed to be at the birth. So instead of taking it out or talking it out with his wife or maybe going to see a counselor about it, he decides to stalk a woman home and follow her all the way back to her house so he sat outside her apartment building and waited until he saw her bedroom lights turn off he then broke into her home and started going through all of her things especially the shoes i just want if i think we can all tell uh, by this point that this guy is an absolute piece of shit where he's like really going to be later on yeah mm-hmm. um so if you're listening and you don't want to hear about rape and torture and mutilation then you should probably stop listening now because it gets pretty bad so she woke up in the middle of him digging through her things and then he like you know saw she was awake he proceeded to choke her until she passed out and then he raped her once he was done he took her shoes and went home 
this is obviously escalatory behavior and it would only get worse and like a whole hell of a lot worse. Linda Slauson was the first victim of Jerry's to be murdered. She was only 19 years old and was looking forward to attending college. To make money to pay for school, she would go door to door selling encyclopedias because that was definitely a thing. Yeah, it was. Did you did you have like one of those like those or your parents have like one of those big sets of encyclopedias? My grandparents had a full set and interesting going through them as a kid, you know. Yeah, for sure. Pre-internet. Yeah, I remember that when I was like doing reports in like elementary school or something yeah. and you'd have to actually go to a library, pull out an encyclopedia yeah. or a dictionary and actually like you could Google wasn't a thing. Right. So. Different times for sure. Yeah. So unfortunately, she ended up at Jerry's house on January 26, 1968. She gives her pitch about the encyclopedias and he tells her that he's interested in buying a set. He convinces her to come down into his workshop so they wouldn't bother his family upstairs. Once she's down there, he hits her in the head with a two by four. And when that didn't kill her, he strangled her to death. He then took off her clothes and treated her like she was some sort of mannequin in a department store. Since Jerry also liked to wear women's clothes and take pictures of himself in them, he took the clothes he had collected and began to dress her up in them, shoes included. He also made sure to take pictures of her in the different outfits that he would put on her. Before disposing of her body, Larry went up and enjoyed dinner with his family. Once he was done, he went back down to the basement, grabbed a hacksaw, and cut off Linda's left foot. He picked out a shoe, put it on her severed foot, and then stuck it in the freezer. And that was after he masturbated while standing over her body. I will never get over the fact that these peep, these guys or killers, whoever, can do this stuff. Go casually have dinner or go about their day, whatever, and then go back to doing it like nothing happened. I know. Isn't that insane? It is. Like, I'm, truly, it's insane. Yeah. Like Every you- known killer like has, they have a family, they have a wife that they tend to. And then they just go out and do these things and come back and act like it's normal. That's yeah. so weird. Like it they, really is. Like they live double lives. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I. How are you not sick? How are you mm-hmm. not like wanting to throw up? How are you yeah. like not wanting to like kill yourself? They can't wait to get back that. to it. Isn't that weird? Yeah. What I've always wondered is when it's men um, targeting like women. And they have wives and daughters or, you know, children. Why don't they ever, like, you know, target the, you know? Yeah. I mean, not saying that all of them don't, but most of the known ones don't really ever, like, you know, abuse their wives or, you know, want to, like, act on them. It's always other women. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's. This is my two cents real quick. Okay, go. They would probably be uh, quicker to get caught if they did do yeah. it in their own home and their own family. Mm-hmm. They couldn't act like nothing was going on. Mm-hmm. It would have to be like, my wife's missing, my kid's missing, whatever. Ah, uh, okay. Part of the double life. Thing. Right, like exactly. That's their, that's, can, that's their um, yeah, keep it outside the house. Mm-hmm. It's what they hide behind. Yeah. Okay. Well, later that night when everyone was sleeping, he went to the Willamette River where he wire-tied a transmission to Linda's body and threw her in the river. She was reported missing, but police didn't have much to go on since no logs were kept at the company that sold the encyclopedia. They had an idea of the neighborhood that she was in, but like as far as like the logs went, they didn't keep 
like actual physical addresses that they went to. Her body was also never found. And the only reason why anyone knows what happened to her is because Jerry confessed to killing her when he was arrested. A couple months later, Jerry moves his family to a new home. This one has an even bigger garage for Jerry to move his things into. He bought a bigger freezer and put a large padlock on the door to the garage. He also put in an intercom system so his wife would be able to communicate with him while he was in there. It was an extra precaution he took to ensure that his wife wouldn't walk in on him. Every time she had to go to the garage for something, she would have to call him on the intercom, and then he would bring her whatever she needed. Since he claimed to be a photographer, he told her that the garage was also being used as a dark room. She thought it was weird, but believed him, because, you know, you open the door to a dark room, you could potentially ruin your photographs. Uh, Ten months after killing Linda... Jerry was tired of taking her foot out of the freezer and trying different shoes on it while he masturbated, and the foot was also starting to deteriorate, so he went out looking for his next victim. Jan Susan Whitney was a 23-year-old college student at the University of Oregon. She was on her way home from a friend's house on November 26, 1968, when her car broke down. Two younger guys pulled over to help her out, and then right behind them, Jerry pulls up. He tells him that he knows how to fix cars, but that he has to run home to pick up his tools. They all get in Jerry's car, and he drops the two guys off, and then him and Jan continue on to his house. He goes into the house to tell his wife that he was going to fix his car for her, and he tells Jan to wait in the car. When he comes back out, instead of getting into the driver's seat, he gets into the seat behind Jan and asks her if she wants to play a game. I would be panicked. Absolutely panicked at that point. He took a strip of leather and choked her with it while he raped her in his car. Once he was done, he took her into the garage and dressed her up in his collection of women's clothing. He raped her corpse and then hung her up with a hook from his ceiling. He brutally assaulted and raped her dead body for five days. During the days that she was in his garage, he took a trip with his family. And while they were gone, there was an accident and a car had crashed, crashed into his garage. But there was hardly any damage. The police came out to investigate the crash, but they didn't notice Jan's body hanging in the garage. Okay, let's... They didn't go inside? Devil's advocate here. Let's say it's just a small crash, like just barely nicked the side of it. You can't really see in the garage. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Mm -hmm. How do you not smell a body after five days? True. Yeah. Good point. Well... After almost being caught, he took her body and dumped her in the Willamette River where he had taken Linda the 10 months prior. After the car crashed into his home, he was a little shaken up, you know, because he thought he was going to be caught. But when he realized that he had gotten away with the torture and murder, basically right under the police's nose, he was emboldened to go out and kill more. Four months later, towards the end of March, a 19-year-old college student named Karen Sprinkler goes missing. Karen also went to the Oregon State University and was home on break visiting with her family and friends. She was supposed to meet her mom for lunch and for shopping, but she never showed up. Jerry had cornered her with a gun on the rooftop parking lot. He said, don't scream and I won't hurt you. Come with me and I won't hurt you. Held at gunpoint, he took her back to his garage and made her stand in various poses while she was dressed up in the women's clothing and he photographed it. 
when he was done with that, he put a noose around her neck and hung her from the ceiling because he had like this rope pulley system that he would use. It was something like, you know, like uh, it's called like a come along. Yeah. Those things mm-hmm. that, yeah. Uh, so he had that like rigged up in his garage. While she was in his garage dying, he was inside his home enjoying his lunch and watching cartoons. Back to that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So he goes back out to the garage and he cuts off both of her breasts, masturbates, and then dresses her back up in the same clothes she had on when he abducted her. He tied her body to a cylinder head, which is like a car part. I don't know what part that is in a car. Maybe something in the engine. But he dumped her in the same river as his first two victims. And remember how I told you that when he killed Jan, he cut off one of her breasts? Did I tell you guys about that? Because that, that, he also cut off Jan's breast. The first one that was hanging? Uh, there was Linda and then Jan. The second. Okay, okay. No, I don't think you mentioned no, that. No, you didn't. Okay, well, he did that. He cut off one of her breasts. Did he save these? Well, yeah, because okay. he um, did like, uh, made a paperweight out of it. He okay. like stuffed it with sawdust and then like tried to make like a plastic mold and like cast it in resin. Well, his wife found it one day, but he played it off like it was just some DIY project gone wrong. He also took Karen's breast to make more paperweights. So Karen's parents looked everywhere for her, and they notified the police as, you know, soon as they, you know, realized that she hadn't showed up. She was really responsible. She wouldn't have just not shown up. So they searched for her, but nothing ever turned up suspicious her car wasn't disturbed there wasn't any blood or nothing um the only thing they had to go on was an eyewitness account that some like somebody said they saw like a tall person wearing women's clothes and high heels but they didn't think it was a woman because the person was you know built like a man nothing ever came from that lead april 21st 1969 jerry runs into sharon wood in the parking garage He tries to abduct her while he's wearing women's clothing, but she puts up a fight and bites his hand. He's pissed, and he bangs her head against the concrete floor until she passes out. Before he can get her into the car, another cart starts driving his way, and Jerry takes off so he won't be caught. Jerry gives him, the cops, like a really detailed account of the attack, but the police aren't able to put two and two together yet with the information that they have. Two days later, Linda Dawn Saley, age 22, was out shopping for her boyfriend's upcoming birthday. She walks to her car with all the gifts she brought for her boyfriend, and a police officer comes up to her, and he's like, you know, I want to talk to you about a string of shoplifting incidents that have occurred in the area. Except it's not a police officer. It's gross and disgusting Jerry, dressed up in a police officer costume with a fake badge. He convinces her to get in the car so they can go down to the station and the station in this case being his garage. He ties her up, goes inside, eats dinner with his family, comes back out to his garage. She's untied when he gets back out there, so he ties her up again and hangs her from the ceiling. Just as with all the other victims, he dresses her up multiple times while taking pictures. Once he'd had enough, he strangled her. He then gets two nails with an electric current running through them and shocks her, like right in her like rib area. He later confessed that he, quote, wanted to see if her body would jump like a frog in a skillet. 
He then tied a transmission around her body and dumped her body in the Long Tom River. Middle of May in 1969, a local fisherman is out on the river when he discovers Linda's body and contacts the police. A couple of days later, Karen's body is also found by the divers who were searching a river. The bodies were sent off to have autopsies done, and the bindings and the auto parts were sent to a crime lab to be analyzed. This, you know, the find turns out to be like kind of a break in the case for the detectives because they will they were able to determine that the knots used to tie the wire and rope um, were underwriter knots. And those are typically used by electricians. So they don't have much, but they have more than they had before. At this point, Jerry is moving away from the parking garages and is now cold calling women and telling them that he has ESP, like a sixth sense. And then he'll ask them if they want to meet up. Like just randomly blind cold calling women like, hey, I have ESP and I'm a Vietnam vet. Do you want to go on a date with me? Well, somehow, isn't that weird? Yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> that wouldn't attract me to somebody. I, uh, me neither. I'd hang up. <laughs> well, he's but he somehow manages to make one of those phone calls work in his favor because the girl on the other end agrees to meet up and go on a date with him. But also, like this is the '60s too. Like, yeah, I feel like people were a lot more trusting in the '60s than they they are now, mm-hmm. and convincing. Yeah. Well, she meets up with him, and it's, you know, she's immediately like, ew, not my type. He was older, like in his 30s, and, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being in your 30s, but I mean, like, if you're, like, a young, just-in-college girl, you don't want to go out with somebody in their 30s. Right, you have her whole life live. Yeah. She was tall, uh, balding, and just all around not attractive. A reporter, Kermit Jadkier, would later write that, He was, quote, tall and flattish and pale and made you think of a white soft slug in a young dying tree. During the day, he talked a lot about working on his car. And to make the whole date even worse, he would say things to her like, how did you know I wouldn't bring you back home and not take you to the river and strangle you? He also said, think of something sad. Think about those two girls that were killed. That was an awful thing to happen. And also... What makes you want to be raped like the other girls? That whole date is a red flag. Mm-hmm. Like just yeah. one giant ass red flag. And so at this point, he still is with his wife, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Still with his wife, his two kids. Like, you know, everything's normal. He's working. So when the date was over, you know, she couldn't get out of there fast enough. Remembering the weird and inappropriate things he said to her and the fact that he liked to talk about working on his car, she went to the police about her date. She told them that the, uh, you know, about the date, gave them the description of him and told him that uh, his name was Jerry because he gave her his real name. She remembered seeing on the news the two girls who were found in the river and thought that she would share the info just in case they were connected, which smart lady After the interview, the detectives were like, you know, maybe we're onto something here because he matched Sharon's description of her attacker in the parking garage. The girl who went on the blind date with Jerry really never wanted to see him again, and rightly so. But for the sake of helping the victims get justice and for helping the detectives, she agreed, agreed to go on a second date with Jerry if he called. And sure enough, he did. A couple of weeks after their date, he calls again and tells her to be ready in 15 minutes and that he'll pick her up. 
She convinces him that she needs an hour to get ready, and he reluctantly agrees. They hang up, and she calls the cops to let him know that he's coming to her place to pick her up. He shows up, you know, to get her from the residence hall, and the cops meet him there and begin questioning him. Everything he says checks out, and he's not acting weird or erratic, so they have to let him go. But they weren't done with him. After looking into his past record, they go to his house to ask him some follow-up questions. While the two detectives are there, you know, he's as cool as a cucumber, not bothered by any of this at all. So they, he agrees to let them search his house and the garage without a search warrant. In the garage, they find the wire that looked like the kind that had been found on the two victims' body. They also noticed some rope that had like the underwriter knots tied in it. In the book I mentioned earlier, it said that Jerry saw the detective looking at the rope with the knots in it and said to him, you seem to be pretty interested in that rope. Would you like to have a piece of it? Wow. Weird. That is like, he just doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Like at all. I think it's one of those things where like, I am smarter than you. Yeah. Take the rope. Yeah. Well, back at the crime lab, the rope and the wire were taken from the victims and matched up perfectly with the ones taken from Jerry's home. Jerry and his wife were pulled over right outside of Canada, May 30th, 1969. And the police thought that, you know, he knew he was about to be arrested. So he was trying to get out of the States. When they get back to the station, Jerry is refusing to talk and is advised by his defense attorney not to talk either. But the detectives kept pushing and pushing and he eventually cracks and admits to everything. While describing all of the horrific things he did to his victims, he showed absolutely zero remorse for brutally assaulting and killing them and grew excited when he would describe his fetishes. His attorney even said, Jerome was completely cold, utterly devoid of any human emotions as he was describing some of the most hideous crimes that have ever been committed. When asked if he cared about the four women he killed, he picked up a piece of paper from the table, crumpled it up, threw it on the floor and said, that much. I care about those girls as much as I care about that piece of wadded up paper. Cold. Yeah, really cold. Yeah. The only time he showed any semblance of emotion was when he would talk about going to jail for the rest of his life or when he would talk about how he was worried about like who would take care of his family. At one point during his confession, he calls his wife and tries to get her to burn clothing and evidence. It said that she burned a couple of things, like a couple pictures, but only to keep Jerry off her back about it. Jerry's garage was, garage was searched, and in it they found the hook and rope system, like the little pulley system he used to strangle his victims. They found the rope and the wire, his collections of women's clothing and shoes, and all of the photographs he had taken of his victims. Some were in various states of undress before and after they were killed. They even found a couple of Jerry dressed up in women's underwear. But the one picture that sealed his face was a mirror selfie he had unknowingly taken. So they then went into his home and, you know, to search for more evidence. And they found the paperweight of Karen's breast he had made sitting on a mantle. Mm. You know, I would not want that in my house. No. Why use your wife? Not yeah. like get that shit out of here. This is weird. Because she even made the comment, mm -hmm. like, this looks very realistic. And he's like, no, no, no. It's just a project I'm working on. I haven't got it quite right yet. 
Yeah. Like that isn't a red flag to you that he's bringing something in your home that looks like a realistic boob? Like <laughs> what? Yeah, and he must have taken like a lot of showers or something because he's raping women, having sex with dead corpses, mm-hmm. and then assuming having sex with her at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. What is it? I saw a story. I can't remember what it was. I think it's been on like YouTube, TikTok, something like that, where this girl like met this guy at a club and she was like making out with him. And then, you know, she like never sees him again or whatever. And then she gets this weird rash like around her mouth. And so she goes to the doctor and it's like some kind of like rash or like flesh eating disease that you get from dead bodies oh my god that's so fucked up so that guy was like imagine oh my fucking god that's terrible so on june 4th 1969 he pled guilty by or he pled not guilty by reason of insanity seven psychiatrists evaluated jerry and all seven came to the same conclusion that jerry was not psychotic but he was found to have an antisocial personality disorder manifested by fetishism, exhibitionism, voyeurism, and sadism. In June 1969, the evidence just kept stacking up against him, and he was charged with three counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Jan, Linda, and Karen. With him being found not criminally insane, his plea was changed to guilty, and that very same day, he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. After he was sentenced, the investigation didn't stop. A total of 12 women were missing in the area during this time, that he was on, like, his killing spree. So the police were looking into that. But nothing, as far as I know, what I could find, I don't, these were, like, the only people they ever linked to Mm. Jerry. But they were also really suspicious of Jerry's wife. And a lot of people were like, how could you not know? And then there was also, like, the resin breast that was sitting on the mantle of their home. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things are just kind of weird. A neighbor came forward and told the police, uh, you know, but she didn't come forward at first because she was asked by her sister not to. But eventually she told him that she saw Jerry and his wife taking a girl who was struggling, like, to get away from Jerry into the house. She also stated that the girl was wrapped up in a blanket and had a gag in her mouth. His wife claimed that she wasn't even home that day. She said that she was at a friend's house and then she had went to her parents' house. The jury ended up finding her not guilty on October 2nd, 1969. And after that, she divorced Jerry, changed their names, and moved away. Jerry's time in prison uh, had some rough spots. He was frequently beaten by other inmates. People had tried to kill him a couple of times. An inmate stabbed him in the back and in the hand. Someone hit him in the head with a bucket of water. And then on New Year's Day in 1971, he is treated for rectal bleeding. The cause of the report was hemorrhoids or, in quotations, other. (laughs) Other. His his foot fetish also didn't go anywhere while he was in prison. Uh, He would order shoe catalogs and would have just stacks of them in his cell. But what I thought was really weird and honestly kind of gross is that some of the prison guards liked him, like thought he was a, a cool dude. He was able to roam about the prison and work on the computers there and even installed the prison's computer system. How could you like somebody like that? Like, knowing what they did? Yeah, that's weird. Every two years, he would come up for parole, but the board wasn't having any part of letting him out. 
Jerry would plead with him at the board every two years and would blame his mother for how he turned out, or he would tell him that he would black out because of the migraines he had of a child and because he was electrocuted at the age of 21. Sometimes he'd even tell the parole board that it wasn't him. He didn't kill his victims. It must have been someone else. Jerry died from liver cancer at 67 years old. He was found dead in his bed March 28, 2006. And that was the end of Jerry. So one of the darker stories that we've had, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one was really rough to research and read about. Yeah. That one was really sad, actually. Mm -hmm. Poor victims, poor his family, poor everybody that surrounded this guy. Yeah. Terrorizing the community. Absolutely. Yeah, so that one was really sad. Um, Next story I'm going to do is definitely a ghost story. So. Oh, cool. Yep. Well, looking forward to it. This was a good episode. Mm-hmm. You. Yeah, that's all I have for you today. All right. Thanks again, Morgan. Right. Appreciate you sitting in. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. See you later. Bye. Bye.